Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if you've ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian Gospel exactly? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the Gospel or good news of salvation? What did he mean by the phrase, so often found on his lips, the gospel about the kingdom of God. When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite you to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus invited his audiences to do in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? Now, the gospel is surely the most important word in the Bible. It describes what a Christian must believe in order to gain immortality, in other words, salvation, in the coming kingdom of God. Now, the gospel has a definite label, an identity marker, and this defines what the message is all about. Jesus was the first and definitive preacher of the gospel, although his message was actually introduced by John the Baptist before him. But Jesus says in Luke 4, verse 43, the reason why I was commissioned was precisely to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. Luke 4, verse 43. Now, it's obvious that Christians are supposed to carry on the same work that Jesus performed in terms of gospel preaching. This follows from the fact that they are meant to be followers of the example set by Jesus. No less than 18 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Acts, the gospel is clearly defined as the gospel about the kingdom. Now, this shows us what gospel Jesus preached. Luke ends his second book, the book of Acts, by telling us that Paul also preached the gospel about the kingdom of God for two whole years in Rome. You'll find that in Acts chapter 28, verse 31. And in Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, he describes his whole career as the proclaiming of the kingdom, Acts 20, verse 25. When Jesus spoke to crowds, he typically welcomed the people and began talking about the kingdom of God, as we read in Luke 9, verse 11. And when the public met Paul in his own hide house in Rome, Paul, we read, welcomed them, just as Jesus did. He welcomed them and testified to the gospel about the kingdom, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Luke has gone to a great deal of trouble to convince us that the center and the heart of the teaching of Paul's gospel was indeed this matter of the kingdom of God. From the very beginning of his career right to the end, from one end of the book of Acts to the other, we find that Paul consistently and constantly preached the gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, most Christians are certainly familiar with the great commission given by Jesus to the church, what we might call the church's marching orders. Jesus gave instruction in that great commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, as to what the church should be doing during the interval of Jesus' absence in heaven, right to the end of the age when he comes back to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And in that great commission, Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and to teach and preach the very things that he himself had taught. In other words, they were being asked to relay the very same teaching that they had learned under his tutorship, under the tutorship of Jesus, and they were to bring it to the whole wide world. This is the essence of the Great Commission, simply a continuation of the ministry of Jesus while he himself was absent in heaven, 
And then, of course, Jesus guaranteed that he would direct their work, and provided they remained faithful to his own teaching and message, he would be with them right to the end of the age. The Bible is a revelation of God's plan for the human race. John the Baptist and Jesus were the first preachers of the gospel of the kingdom. You can read this clearly in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, where John the Baptist initiated his ministry by announcing that, and I quote, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Matthew 4 verse 17 and Matthew 4 verse 23, we find that Jesus also took up that very same message that had been started by John the Baptist and with exactly the same slogan, he invited the people to repent because the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus went about all Galilee, we read, preaching and proclaiming the good news or gospel about the kingdom. And shortly before his death, Jesus made an important announcement. He said, according to Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel about the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end of the age will come. A worldwide proclamation or heralding of the kingdom of God gospel was obviously envisaged by Jesus, and he called it this gospel about the kingdom. That's to say, this well-known gospel, the gospel that we all recognize in the Christian circle as being the gospel. In fact, Mark's account of the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 13, verse 16, refers to the words of Jesus as follows, The gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations. Now, a most important equation supplies invaluable information here. Matthew's version says, This gospel about the kingdom will be proclaimed to the nations. Mark's account of the same word says, The gospel will be proclaimed. Mark 13, verse 10. And so, I understand by comparing these two phrases that this gospel of the kingdom may alternately be referred to as simply the gospel. Now, this is most instructive because throughout the New Testament we find the word gospel occurring some 101 times. In every case, it refers back to what Matthew called and Jesus called this gospel about the kingdom, Matthew 24, verse 14. There is, in fact, only one gospel, although some systems of theology have made things exceedingly complicated and confusing for the public by trying to tell us that there is more than one gospel. That's absolutely untrue. There's only one gospel throughout the New Testament. Some systems try to divide the books up into various sections and various divisions so that one gospel would apply to one section of the Bible and another gospel to another section. That's quite unnecessary and most confusing. There's only one gospel, and it's the gospel that Jesus himself brought and preached and which he commissioned the church after him to take to the whole world until the end of the age when he returns to establish the kingdom. So you see, the gospel about the kingdom is the unifying thread which ties together the ministries of Jesus and the apostles and should, in fact, harmonize with the gospel we are preaching today. The amazing thing is, and we've documented this in previous programs from various leading sources, that the phrase gospel about the kingdom is very seldom heard in Christian circles in our time. The absence of this phrase, the gospel about the kingdom, is very striking. It suggests that contemporary gospel preaching has lost something essential of the heart of the faith as Jesus proclaimed it. Something has been obscured in the transmission because we're not hearing that phrase, gospel about the kingdom. In fact, we often don't hear solid explanations and expositions of the idea of the kingdom at all in Christian preaching. But we can be assured that in the New Testament, in the accounts of Jesus' ministry, and also the accounts of Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, the kingdom of God was utterly central. Now, the loss or obscuring of a central element in the gospel is a most serious matter. 
We think that it could account for the fragmentation of the church into hundreds of differing denominations. Paul, you know, did not envisage the church being divided into hundreds or even thousands of differing groups or denominations. In fact, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says this, I want you, brethren, all to say the same thing. I want you to be perfectly united in one mind and in one judgment. Ideally, then, there's no room for vast differences of opinion in the Christian church. And yet, what do we find today? Obviously, tremendous differences, not only on peripheral points, but on main issues of theology, namely defining the gospel. Now, I cannot bring myself to believe that the New Testament is responsible for all that fragmentation. If, for example, a supermarket were to issue a procedures manual and then hand it to its various branches and then find that after a certain time all the branches were operating their stores in a different way, one of two possibilities would come to light. The first is that the manual itself was badly written and nobody could understand it. And the second possibility would be that the differing stores had not read and understood the manual correctly. Now, I'm bound to think that in terms of the New Testament, the fault must lie with us. Surely those teachers of the Bible, those people we have recorded for us in the New Testament, those teachers of sound teaching and of the true gospel in the New Testament, they were not confused about what they were trying to say. They had a united message which they intended to bring simply and plainly to the public and to their converts. But the fact is that over the last 2,000 years, Christianity has become terribly fragmented and divided. In fact, atheists and unbelievers often point a finger at the church and they say, how can you claim to be following Jesus in your preaching and teaching if, in fact, you are unable to agree about some of the most central elements of the teaching of Jesus? And that's perhaps a fair criticism. So one of the main purposes of these programs focusing on the kingdom is to suggest ways that we can come together in some of the most basic issues of the Bible. And there's no better starting point for such a plan than to unite on the central concept which obviously drove the mission of Jesus and the apostles, namely his gospel about the kingdom of God. We find then in Matthew's phrase, Matthew 24, verse 14, this gospel about the kingdom, a master definition of the gospel. And we find that this term is repeated in many different ways and in many different phrases, throughout the New Testament. Just as when we refer to the United States of America, for example, we don't always give a full title, the United States of America. We may call it simply America, or the U.S., or the U.S.A. But we all know that the U.S. is an abbreviation, a shorthand version of the full title, United States of America. Just the same thing happens in the Bible. The writers had shorthand ways of expressing ideas which were well known to them and to their readers, and one of them is simply the word gospel. When they say the gospel, or the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, they mean the gospel as Jesus preached it. Namely, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Matthew 24, verse 14. So it will be most helpful in your Bible study if every time you come to the word gospel, or gospel of Christ, gospel of salvation, gospel of grace, you remind yourself always that those phrases go back to the master definition which lies behind them all, namely the phrase, Gospel of the Kingdom. And you can root yourself then in a solid understanding of what Jesus was doing in his preaching if you go back invariably to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus came into Galilee saying, Repent and believe in the Gospel about the Kingdom. The Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in God's Gospel. This then will unify the Bible under a single umbrella, especially the New Testament. 
But indeed, the whole Bible, including the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament also, all of this will unite under one umbrella, namely a principal concept, an underlying idea, a master term, the saving gospel about the kingdom of God. If we combine references to the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel, and preaching or proclaiming and heralding, there are over 300 references to the gospel of the kingdom in the New Testament. Believing, the term believing or having faith in the New Testament simply means believing in the gospel about the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check these findings of ours carefully in the Bible. Look up the verses we've been referring to in your own scriptures at home. Check Luke 4, verse 43, and see that Jesus was commissioned as the reason for his whole mission to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then have a look at Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. You'll see that Paul, faithfully following Jesus, always preached the gospel about the kingdom, both to Jews and Gentiles alike. Remember that Jesus was a first-century Jew whose teaching must be understood in its own first-century Jewish environment. It's dangerous to read our own 20th-century ideas into the Bible. We should read the original truth as Jesus taught it from the Bible itself. The kingdom of God is the great key to unifying the New Testament and indeed the key to unifying the fragmented church which now differs in many major doctrinal points, such that there are thousands of denominations all claiming to get the same truth out of the same Bible, and yet opinions vary widely. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to email us or visit our website, or call us for the free book on the kingdom that we'd like you to have for your personal study at home. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.